Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 330. A bit of a different one here, as you would have seen from the title. I wanted to do a special about the the, the defund the police movement. Uh, part of this is uh, one of my upcoming guests, actually, Dottie, has written an amazing book about outrage and social media and how all-consuming it can be and how it's kind of built in a way to keep us there getting more outraged and when we had the was it blackout tuesday which again a lot of people liked a lot of people didn't the using of hashtags caused problems but that was changed anyway the point of that was meant to be to do research and to prepare and to make plans to go forward and one of the things i kept finding in my research was this movement to defund the police so um i started to look into who i could talk to about this and how i could understand it better so yeah in fact uh, let's drop the uh, the intro music intro over and then we will get on with the the episode but please approach this with an open mind i think so many of these hashtag movements and terms can cause instant reactions and that can give us some kind of confirmation bias or simply a bias towards what we think the action is or the movement is rather than than what it actually is so whether you're pro black lives matter pro the marches pro the police or anti any of that come into this with an open mind and we'll see where we all stand at the end let's drop the intro music Right, so yeah, I, I wanted to do this episode because I think defund the police is a very misunderstood term. I, I misunderstood it. I saw it online and was sceptical. Uh, but the, 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 the second I started to read up about it, I was interested. I wasn't necessarily won over, but I was instantly aware it wasn't something to just dismiss. And it made me think of a chapter in Rutger Bregman's book, his first book, a Utopia for Realists, which is the first time I've had, had Rutger on twice, but it was for his first book I had him on the first time. When he spoke of b- better ways to use our taxes ra- and government funds rather than policing, um, and how his book looks through history and showed that it was cheaper to spend on homelessness than to police it, along with many other social examples. I won't go into all that now because we talked about it in the episode. It's in his book. Go back and listen to that episode. So I reached out to Rutger to get his thoughts and opinions on it and opinions on who I should talk to. And he he mentioned that part in the book and he spoke of the, the, the difference between Europe and America with the defund the police movement, which I'll get onto later. But he sent me an article in The Guardian by Professor Alex Vitali on the idea of defunding the police. Um, and he's been looking into all of this for many years now not just since it's all become a hashtag and blown up online so i reached out and lined up a chat with him right so i'm joined today by professor alex vitali of the department of sociology at brooklyn college and coordinator of the policing and social justice project um 
I mean, we were talking briefly before this, but you you must be quite busy at the moment, right? With with the area that you work in, the books you've written in the past, and everything that's going on in America and the world right now, I guess. Yes, I've I've been doing about ten interviews a day, plus you know trying to be on the phone with people in this movement to to coordinate our activities and make sure we're all on the same page. Yeah, amazing. Well, what I wanted to talk to you about was the defund the police uh, movement. I've read your article about it in The Guardian and loved it. And I feel it's a movement that's building a lot of steam, but, but I think that is very misunderstood, even more so in the UK potentially, because in the US, as it's being discussed more, the explanations become clear. So I know it's kind of a big ask, but can you walk us through the basics of what the idea is behind defund the police? Sure. And and that language is is in some ways kind of new. It was something that could be put on a cardboard sign yeah. and doesn't really capture or in a hashtag, right? And it doesn't entirely capture what this movement is really about. This is really about the fact that, especially in the States, you know, government has come to rely on the police to manage every social problem under the sun. Mm. So instead of dealing with things like mass homelessness and mass untreated mental illness and failing schools and youth violence, they've just turned it all over to the police to manage. And this movement is demanding that governments shift spending from policing into community-identified interventions that they think will make their community safer than relying on armed police. Yeah, and and, and that makes so much sense in America with, I said, the key word there being armed and with such a heavily militarised police and so much budget going into that. That's not what you want being sent to respond to everything. You know, every problem, you don't want to send... Uh, a man with a gun, I guess. It doesn't make logical sense there. Well, of course, it's leading to a lot of death in yeah. the United States. You know, police in the United States kill over a thousand people a year. But even when the police aren't violent, even when they don't shoot someone, they can still cause a lot of harm. You know, putting people into the criminal justice system can be incredibly destabilizing for their lives, can, can really lead to long-term negative consequences. So we should always view policing as a tool of absolute last resort. Mm. Yeah, and, and and that's a great thing that's worth highlighting because, again, it is far more prevalent in the black community. Uh, uh, the vast majority of white people don't have the experience of the trauma of, of regular p- police visits, regular unjust stop and search and things like that it's something that is very damaging and can change it's i mean it's it it leads to changing the way a community looks at itself let alone other people look at a community right yeah that's a great point you know there's a ton of research that shows that when young people are treated as if they're always already guilty of something and they're subjected to constant police harassment as well as demeaning treatment in school demeaning treatment in government offices, you know, this this affects how they understand their position in society. It, it leaves them alienated and mm. feeling insecure. And this just contributes to the likelihood of, of antisocial behavior and violence. So one of the things that this movement is calling for is treating kids with respect. Yeah. 
establishing lines of communication based on mutual respect and understanding to try to get into their lives in ways that help lift them up, who help deal with past traumas, who help give them positive avenues for success instead of constantly dehumanizing them. Mm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense that through the, I guess, the 80s and into the 90s, um, and we've had it in the UK as well, but with the war on drugs and with the war on gangs and with all these other things, the instant response has been a response of force rather than a response of care. And they're all scenarios and problems that, again, even to say, okay, well, I understand why you thought at that point a response of force was the right choice or was needed, but we can at this point see that it's not worked and it's not not beneficial. So surely a response of care, a response of understanding and a response of aid is the only thing that makes logical sense rather than continuing ramping up the response of, of force, I guess. Well, that's, you know, that's exactly the, the, the problem that, that the UK is facing right now in relationship to knife crimes. Yeah. There's a big debate underway to bring back stop and frisk mm-hmm. or stop and search, as you call it, to intensify the policing in these neighborhoods, to increase criminal penalties. And, and I think they should be looking to groups like the Forefront Project based in London mm-hmm. that works with kids in neighborhoods where this is a real problem, that, that does exactly this work of treating kids with respect, trying to bring them out of the kind of tit-for-tat violence that is driving a lot of this, to, to deal with the past traumas and to give them you know, a positive direction to move forward rather than criminalizing them. Completely. And and and. In the UK, I've, I've I've seen a lot recently from people like um, Akala and 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 many other people who've been in that world and and understood that world, but can now turn around and say, "Look, this isn't the way," and that will get through far more than a police officer t- t- telling you, or a member of parliament, or a member of of government. Th- those who've lived that life and been in that community and that situation can get through to a youngsters far more than yeah a a, a police penalty a, a stop and search a prison sentence yeah we in the US we call this the credible messenger program yeah. or approach and that's exactly it the message has to come from people who have credibility in the eyes of the young people at risk for involvement in violence otherwise it's just another person wagging their finger at them another person demeaning and dehumanizing them. And, and that's just not going to be effective. Yeah. So so to go back to defund the police, obviously, as you said, it's similar to Black Lives Matter. It's come about as a hashtag, as a, as a sign at a, at a protest rather than a clear articulated message. Now, because of that, it gets simple arguments online that don't know the ins and outs of 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 the idea and the movement, and this the one that everyone t- tends to go to is, you want to defund the police. What are you going to do when someone gets raped or someone's being murdered or someone's being attacked? So, I mean, there's a simple answer to that. But yeah, w- would you like to explain the kind of simple solution sure. there? I mean, there's a simple argument, and then there's there's a bigger set of issues that need to be addressed. You know, the goal of this movement is to increase public safety. 
And the people leading this movement in the United States have been the victims of violence in their homes, in their communities. And for them, police were not a source of safety. They were a source of additional danger. Yeah. And the, what they're demanding is not some free-for-all. What, what they're demanding is that we actually invest in strategies that have a track record of success that we think will do a better job of keeping people safe. So these credible messenger programs have shown tremendous success mm. in reducing the number of homicides much more than policing ever did. We need to actually take a position where prevention should be job number one. Because almost always the police arrive after the damage has already been done. Yeah. Now their their mere presence you know, reduces some predatory behavior. But if you want to talk about who do I call when I've been raped, but, but you've already been raped, mm. then the police yeah. come and take a report and often don't even investigate, much less catch the person. Yeah. In the U.S., clearance rates for sexual assaults are infinitesimal. Mm. We can't even get them to test the rape kits. You know, so policing is not working. It's not keeping people safer. Let's try something better. Yeah. So, so, so one of the things that is also argued is that surely what we're pushing for here is is police reform. And again, that is something that may have been arguable ten years ago. But reform after reform after reform hasn't worked. Um, it's it's quite specific to America in many ways because of the the barricade of 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 police unions and and the way that that has been such a restriction on trying to get i like we hear all the time that the the officers in this case have been arrested and then they haven't been charged and things like that's often because of the way the unions are run right and 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 the accusation of a hell of a lot of corruption in the unions a hell a hell of a lot of years of people in it of the same of of people looking after each other and so on and so forth. So the, the unions are definitely part of the problem here. They have enabled a culture of impunity, but they're also a social force that is using their political power to pressure politicians mm. to continue to rely on criminalization. And in this way, they, they work in conjunction with elite forces, real estate interests, large business interests, who don't want to solve the problems in communities of color, yeah. who, who really don't care about the inequality they've created and the deprivation, and they don't want to pay taxes. They want to paper over these problems with intensive and invasive policing mm. rather than really provide affordable housing and decent wages and a clean environment. So – it, it, policing is part of the problem. We need to neutralize them. We need to make their political contributions toxic to politicians. Anybody who takes their money or endorsement cannot be our friend, period. They've mm. got to give that money back. Or, or what a number of politicians have done in the last few weeks is turn that money over to bail funds and mutual aid projects and sever that relationship with police unions. Mm. But we also have to go after those people with elite interests who are giving money to politicians who are also trying to undermine our safety. Yeah. Again, it's so complex over there 
because of all these elements in play at the same time, I guess. The fact that the, the solution is an intricate one. It's looking at all these things, but because of the intricacy of it, a lot of people can easily dismiss these things as as an unrealistic expectation of uh, we need to deal with the world we're in now rather than this imaginary world. But effects are already being had with a Minneapolis responding to the def- the move to defund the police. And the way things are in America is it is a state-led scenario. And we saw this with the change in drug law. that That was seen at one point as completely unimaginable and then gradually, state by state, said, no, this is ludicrous that we're, we're criminalising and demonising uh, marijuana use. And, and, and that spread like wildfire. So do you feel it's a similar thing here, that the results seen so far could be the first steps on a longer journey? Well, boy, that's what I sure hope. I yeah. hope that's true. I mean, the, this, this movement didn't just come out of nowhere two weeks ago. It's been percolating for years. In dozens of cities, people have been making these demands, have been organizing in their communities, and some of them have had victories, dialing back school policing, shifting resources from policing to community interventions. It just hasn't gotten that mainstream media attention that it's getting now because of this level of resistance in the streets. So it's essential, right, that we understand how powerful that resistance in the street is to changing the national conversation. But but we do have a long way to go, and it's going to take sustained community organizing, not just protests in the streets, to get the things we really want. And the sustained part is absolutely key there, realizing how long this movement has been going and, and the pressure has been put on, acknowledging that this explosion of passion and investment in the calls now has moved things forward faster and started things going, but also being aware that it doesn't just end in a week's time. It doesn't just end in two weeks' time. It has to be a continued and sustained fight, right? Yeah, and there there is a lot of conversation going on behind the scenes, an effort to cobble together a, a kind of coordinated national campaign. Uh, there's talk about setting a target of cutting local police spending by 50% over the next five years. And I think that that we need that kind of national framework to support the local organizing on the ground and also to provide them with resources for for organizers, uh, for communications and messaging, and also, you know, a menu of examples of things that they could be calling for that have shown success in other places. Yeah. So that people can be as specific as possible about what they want. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. And again, I think the thing that people struggle to get into their heads that a reducing of police spending by 50% is also pushing to reduce the responsibility of the police. It's not just saying, we want you to have less money and have a harder job. It's saying, we want you to not be dealing. Like, again, it's something we don't have as much in the UK, but. The idea of police in schools is such a horrible world to be living in that there has to be a police presence in schools of all places. But it's becoming the norm in America now. It's becoming an accepted thing, and that can't be the case. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, the book has been, my book has been actually remarkably popular among police in the UK. 
Uh, I'm there quite regularly and am frequently invited to speak to police and police come to my public events. And I think they, they view my book as a kind of cautionary tale because they're under pressure in the UK to expand into more and more of these areas as the government withdraws social safety net programs. Yeah. As kids are left increasingly on their own, as as health services are inadequately funded. And they don't want to do that. They, they understand, uh, most British police, as far as I can tell, understand that this is just a bad idea, mm. that they're not well-equipped to handle these problems, and it will just make their jobs more difficult, more miserable, and turn the public against them. Yeah. So, yeah, I think if we can just convince more people in the States about this, you know, I think we could really make some progress. Completely. So to kind of to kind of wrap things up, I said earlier that it could be seen because there's so many levels and layers to this. It could seem like an unachievable task, but I think a more unachievable task is to look at the history of the U.S. police force, the racism that was embedded in the starting of it as 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 an organization purely to. To, to capture slaves or to monitor the black community post-slavery. The idea of thinking that simply re- reforming a system that has so many years of racism built upon racism built upon racism is more unrealistic. So surely the only true way to move forward would be to defund and deconstruct and start again, focusing on sp- spreading the responsibility and, and the power across many different services rather than simply a police response-based system where they're responding to stuff that's happened rather than necessarily focusing their time on on the prevention. Yeah, that's that's really true. You know, we've just come to turn every problem over to them. And Mm. then when they do bad things, we say, oh, that's an aberration. We can fix that with some little superficial intervention like implicit bias training, which is becoming more popular in the UK as well. Yeah. And, and it really it insults our intelligence. It insults the intelligence of police officers and the public to imagine that that these problems can be solved with with bias training. Yeah, no, it's built into the decision to turn these problems over to police who are violence workers who have always served to reproduce race and class inequalities in our society, and that's really at the heart of the analysis that's driving the. Uh, defund police invest in communities movement yeah well that's perfect i i very much appreciate your time and i look forward to seeing i mean look forward seems too positive a term but it's very interesting and hopeful to see the developments of of this movement with the results that are already being had and being aware of how much further it has to go you bet pip looking forward to making another trip to UK when that's possible. Yeah, definitely. I look forward to that. Well, thank you very much. You bet. So, yeah, already that's that's incredibly enlightening to me. And again, to be honest, it has me fairly convinced of of the merits of it. And again, along with along with the research I did in in the lead up to this, but a lot of that research was the work of Professor Alex uh, Vitali. But as I mentioned, Rutger had mentioned, and in the research I'd looked into, it mentioned that it may not be fitting in the UK or Europe. 
I know people in the police who spend the vast portion of their time responding to stuff they either shouldn't be needed for or aren't necessarily the best people to respond, which sounds very similar to what Professor Alex Vitali had said. So the difference that I could come to in my head was that they're not being sent in with loaded guns. But then I started thinking about the fact that it's worse somewhere else doesn't mean we have no work to do. If you break your leg, you'd be insane to say, well, my friend in America, in a car crash he had, his leg was completely severed, which is way worse. So I probably don't need to go to the hospital. Like He needs to go to the hospital immediately because he's losing huge amounts of blood. But that's way worse than breaking my leg. So I probably don't need probably don't need to go that's craziness but once again I wanted to talk to an expert rather than come up with my own little ideas and scenarios which whilst I feel <laughs> all proud of how clearly they get the message across that that could have been a tweet it's unresearched and it's been thought about for a matter of days rather than researched over years so I asked Jason Reed, fellow network people Jason Reed and Dr. Susie Gage, because they both work a lot in the drug w- world and on, on panels speaking about a lot of things. And Jason in particular works with Leap UK, which is, is law enforcement against prohibition. So that's p- prohibition, but there's, there's law enforcement there. So they're mixing in the right circles, I guess. Um, and they recommended a few people and I emailed them. And then, they, and then I emailed them and then I emailed some more. And then I emailed some more. And... It instantly made me realise that the thing I love about academics, unlike podcasters, is they don't tend to want to talk on stuff they aren't experts on. (laughs) They would rather recommend an expert, which is, again, podcasters will talk about anything you give them five minutes on um, to share their all-too-important opinion. I talked about that with Rutger Bregman, the, the, the fact that on social media we all love to have an opinion and don't necessarily want to put in the hours to earn that opinion. So one doctor that I had recommended recommended another doctor um, who felt that they weren't really qualified enough and they knew someone who was more qualified. So, so they recommended them who finally said, no, no, I know this other guy, my colleague. And it was a guy called Dr. Adam Elliot Cooper. So I hit him up. And we lined up a conversation. Right, so I'm joined today by Dr. Adam Elliot Cooper, University of Greenwich, uh, Humanities and Social Science, and also sits on the board of the the Monitoring Group, which is an anti-racism group challenging state racisms and racial violence. Um, how are you, man? Are you good? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult time for all of us right now. Um, yeah. You know, people are in lockdown, you know, people on the streets. Um, so it's an exciting time, but it's also a, it's quite an exhausting time as well. It, it, it must be weird suddenly welcoming so many people into your world, right? Because this is the, 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 the stuff that people are suddenly discussing so vehemently online and in the streets is what you 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 do, is what you study, is what you research, you know? Yeah, no, you're completely right. I mean... I've been, I've been working at the monitoring group and with them for a long time um, and we've been un- inundated with reports from East Asian people getting attacks in racist attacks, a massive increase in pe- people getting uh, assaulted by the police during the lockdown yeah. and we've only got two, two full-time members of staff really, really struggling wow. to suddenly, almost out of nowhere, massive support for the organisation. People yeah. looking us up, finding out, wanting to know how they can help, how they can volunteer, how they can donate. I mean, it's been it's been phenomenal. It's been phenomenal. It's, it's, I mean, it also must be overwhelming right i remember when i was first looking at 
where best to to donate to help things in America. The the Minnesota Bail Fund had to put out a thing saying, look, we can't take any more donations at the moment. We're normally this small thing that no one cares about and we're struggling to get stuff. And all of a sudden, the whole world is on our side and we can't actually handle it. Yeah, I know. It's, I mean, I think it's worth pointing out that these are the largest anti-racist protests in British history. We've yeah. never had anti-racist protests like that. And they've loads of them been, have been organised by young people, which, again, yeah. is really encouraging. But also loads of them are taking place in um, not very multicultural small towns and villages in Wales, yeah. in parts of northern England, um, where people have seen what's happening and are also um, organising their events, organising rallies. Um, and I think that's, I mean... You can't not be inspired by that. Completely. I went to one, is because again, there's been a lot of debate over what is the right thing to do. And I wanted to go to some of, of, of the rallies in London, but I live out of London. So it would have meant several hours on the train, which during a pandemic seemed irresponsible. But then one popped up, you know, half hour drive from me. So driving half an hour, more than happy to do and, 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 and do the right thing there. So that was amazing to see. Every protest I've gone previously has been in London. It's the same with all gigs and all kind of cultural things that are going on. I get the train into London. So it was amazing to go, oh, right, this is in South End, the area I went to school, to a school that had, you know, two, two, two black children in my year and, 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 and one Indian child. So a very white kind of area. And, and the turnout was great and the response was great. So, I mean, primarily, I wanted to talk to you about the defund the police movement. But before we get to that, this is an angle that's worth going down because something I've seen a lot of online is that why are people in England protesting injustices in America? And that that's not the case. And your position, particularly on the monitoring group, will be a perfect one to kind of explain the race issues that we do still have in this country. I think it's it's... Because of all this, all these news stories over statues recently, which have been huge moments, um, mm, yeah, yeah, that are part of a movement. I think the focus has been, oh, England has got a history of racism, and we've got a past of racism, and it makes it easy to f- ignore and forget the current issues and the current stuff that you're probably hearing about. C- constantly yeah no completely um i think britain likes to kind of tell itself that racism is this thing that happens in america or this thing that used to happen in south africa but everything's sorted out now um i think struggles to have conversations about race and racism today but i mean one of the big pieces of evidence that everyone often cites about the united states is the incarceration rate of african-americans in the u.s Mm. but britain actually incarcerates black people at the same rate as african-americans as a proportion of the population black people are incarcerated at the same rate um uh, ethnic minorities make up over a quarter of incarcerated people um, in this country. And the wow. prison population has almost doubled since Margaret Thatcher came to power in the 1980s. So the prison system is absolutely fundamental to racial injustice in this country, just as it is in the United States. And although our police officers don't carry guns routinely and uh, the level of death isn't as bad as the United States, one on average since 1991, nearly one person a week has died at the hands of police, prisons or our immigration services. Um, and when it comes to use of excessive force, black people are overrepresented when it comes to use of excessive force and death um, well, in those circumstances. So 
we have to understand that this 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 problem of criminal justice um, racism is is very much alive here in Britain as well. Yeah, it's it's something that it often takes events and and moments to make people realise these things. And I had it this week, in fact, because I saw again previous podcast guest and friend of the podcast, a wretch three two, posted a shocking video of his his sixty two year old dad being tasered in his own home by the police and it led me to find that tasers are used on black londoners for or a black londoner is four times more likely than their white counterpart to to have a taser used on them and again these things aren't it may not be big no. guns but it's the weapons that are being used it's which may mean we don't have the same amount of deaths but we still have the the excessive force, as you say, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's 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 a fascinating one, and it's a scary one. People will often, in these situations, defer to statistics on black on black crime. And I saw a wonder again. Previous podcast guest and friend of the podcast, Sakala, was has talked a few times about how that's a myth because um, because the crime is based on class or poverty rather than than race and he used he, he used italy as an example where the ghettos in italy are primarily primarily white and no one talks of the white on white crime yeah it's it's, yeah. it's not um, a yeah. race angle so i mean it's interesting i think because i mean i think a few years ago the united nations came to britain and this is one of britain's cities is the most dangerous city in western europe and that city was glasgow um, and they said that uh, you need to have massive changes here because there's so much violent crime here. But Glasgow, of course, is one of Britain's whitest major cities. But no one ever said, well, this is what happens when you haven't got any multiculturalism. Yeah. This is what happens when you leave white people together in the same place. Because it would be an absurd thing to say. It would be yeah. a ridiculous thing to say. And also, it wouldn't help us to solve the problems of Glasgow at all, right? That were being faced by the, the communities there. But as soon as Black people um, uh, are seen to have had a problem. It's blackness that's used to explain that problem. And I yeah. think that's the key problem, right? It's, if it, no one is saying that, you know, um, black people don't get caught up in violence or anything like that. But the, the, I think the real question is when black people are caught up in violence, it's their blackness that's used to explain it. Not, not addiction problems or poverty or inequality or lack of health care or, or mental health provision or anything else like that. It's blackness. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's... It's ludicrous, but it's it's an easy thing for the media or the government or whomever else to wield because it's yeah. it's visible. Um, I think it's poverty is also visible. very effective. Dr- dr- yeah. dr- dr- drug addiction isn't easily visible in in a quick photo and so on and so forth. So mm-hmm. yeah, and but it's it's effectiveness is also key, right? Yeah, I think the effectiveness is really, really important because one of the ways in which the government has justified the massive expansion of prisons over the last 30, 40 years, as I mentioned, the prison population has almost doubled since Thatcher came to power in the in the, in the the late 70s, early 80s. One, it's justified often through racist means. It's by saying that we've got this epidemic of muggers, of terrorists, of gangsters, of drug dealers, all of these kinds of what we might call racialized crimes, right? This, yeah. I, this idea of this racial um, uh, figure 
But of course, the people who end up being uh, incarcerated in this massive expansion prison regime aren't just black people. So whilst racism is used as the justification for expanding our prison system, Mm. it ends up hoovering up all working class communities regardless of their ethnicity. And so I think it's important for us to remember this relationship between race and class, how racism is used as the justification, but that does, but then the, the powers, the police powers, the ASBOs and the injunctions and the long sentences end up being used against working class communities across the board. Yeah, it's fascinating that they need to have that easily identifiable villain to to yeah. to, to, to drive the narrative, to make people scared, whether that is immigrants overwhelming us or, or knife gangs or moped yeah. gangs or whatever else. It's, it's these easily identifiable villains that then allow us or encourage society to turn the other way essentially to go well you know they've got to do what they've got to do as such yeah it's a tough job and all 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 those kind of things so it brings us on to the kind of the motion of defunding the police because the reason i wanted to do this podcast as i will have mentioned earlier in the podcast is that it's a very disarming term i've Mm. i've compared it to white privilege people hear white privilege and think well, I've, I've not had an easy life. And when you actually explain what white privilege means and explain that you may not have had an easy life, but one of the things that has held you back has not been the colour of your skin. And it's as simple as that. It's a, it's a quantifiable, undeniable privilege. So defund the police is a similar one because I've spoken to Alex uh, Vitali about that in America. And you spoke of, in Glasgow as an example, the poverty, the addiction the uh, drug abuse and things like the idea in America of defunding the police is to put more money into those community-led solutions. Uh, When I had Rutger Bregman on the first time a couple of years ago, he spoke about the tests that were done all over Europe to show that literally homelessness is a problem that you can throw money at. (laughs) It's literally (laughs) everyone talks about, oh, you shouldn't give this. It's like, no, you can throw money at it and get solutions at a higher rate than some of the other techniques that we take. So what are your views, I guess, in the UK of defunding the police? Because as you said, we've not got a largely militarised police as they do in the US. So what do you feel on it as as a movement? Yeah, applicable totally. in this country. So, so I think what's important for us to remember is that despite the fact that um, the prison population has almost doubled um, in the last 30 years and we've seen prison and police being used um, to solve many of our social problems, whether it be addiction or mental health um, or debt, like many of people who end up incarcerated are in massive amounts of debt. They've got addiction problems. Many people have got mental health problems or they've uh, got learning needs that haven't been identified and they haven't got the support that they need to get the education that they deserve and, and get a career, all of that kind of stuff, right? Um, and the, so therefore, these social problems are therefore solved with the prison. We can't deal with them. We'll lock them up in a cage. This type of governance, this type of ordering society doesn't actually help us to deal with those social problems. We haven't had a reduction in in violence. We don't have safer communities thanks to these new prisons that are being built. Um, the police have more powers than they've ever had in this country, um, to not only just to stop and to search and arrest, but to use tasers, as you mentioned before, and, and other kinds of powers. More and more powers and no improvement in public safety. Mm. So what does that tell us? That tell us, tells us is maybe the police aren't 
more police and more prisons doesn't make our communities safer. Maybe it tells us that more police and more prisons don't um, help us to live in a more um, uh, cohesive society. And maybe we should be looking for other solutions that help public safety. So, so um, defunding the police would probably begin with something like, OK, let's stop having... Um, the hostile environment policy, where the role of the police is to go and raid um, shops where they think undocumented people are working, or to um, uh, look up landlords and schools and hospitals where they think undocumented people are and weed them out and um, put them on a deportation flight out the country. Maybe it's a bad use of public funds. Mm. How about we stop having um, uh, the prevent program, where the police have huge amounts of IT and communications infrastructure to monitor people's emails, to, to surveil um, uh, Muslim students and mosques and all of that kind of stuff. Um, that often criminalises Muslim communities. How about we end um, David Cameron's all-out war on gangs and gang culture, where he, where they're, where they're going through YouTube and banning uh, rap videos, where they put young people in a gang's matrix, which stops them from going to college and or their family from getting a council house and all of the other stuff they need to live a reasonable existence. All of these types of police initiatives that are very resource intensive, that are supposed to get the uh, the racial villains um, that we're scared about in the tabloids, cost huge amounts of money and don't make us any safer. Mm. So what should we do with the money instead? Or how about instead of putting police into schools, which is what the government's trying to do, they're trying to put one police officer in each school, how about we put a mental health worker and a counsellor? How about we put a social worker? How about we put a youth worker who's going to be there after school just in case you haven't got anywhere to be after school or your parents don't get home till seven o'clock, eight o'clock at night and you want some where to hang out. How about um, we open more women's refuges and, and fund them properly so that when women are worried about domestic violence, they haven't got to call the police and have to worry about the father of their children getting roughed up or getting deported or anything like that, and they can go to somewhere safe. How about we have better addiction services and decriminalise or at least lower the uh, criminalisation of many different types of drugs so that um, rather than people with addiction problems getting picked up and put in a cage, they actually, we, actually, we treat it as a public health issue and people with addiction problems get the help, help that they need and the problem is better solved, which is going to be cheaper and more effective. Mm. Um, so there are lots of ways in which we can have, I guess, preventative approaches um, to the social problems that exist in our society that don't involve putting a human being into a cage. And I, I want to stress that that is what prison is. That's what prison yeah. does. It puts a human being into a cage. And I think we need to remember that um, uh, when we talk about trying to lock them up. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I think I think it's it's perfect there. And just speaking on the... on on the drug side of it the the changing of that attitude they're looking on it as a war will mean that those who are struggling will be able to get help more will not have to be hidden in the gutters or in the back streets or whatever else can go look i'm struggling and, and not everyone will but a lot of people might argue well you know it's it's pie in the sky it's not achievable it's this imaginary uh, a, a utopia but i think a few things you've touched upon there when analyse, illustrate why now is the time that we can do these things. When Cameron b- brought in his 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 gang task forces, essentially, or his his battle, his aggressive work against them, it was seen as right. Well, we need an immediate answer, um, yeah, rather than a long term answer. Everyone at the time could have pitched the long term answers is more help in the social system, in the schools, all these different things, more dealing with the the poverty issue essentially so people aren't driven to that but people could be scared into saying no we need an immediate answer as you say that immediate answer hasn't brought a reduction in violent crime it hasn't worked therefore now we can say right well it will take a bit longer but we've tried that for the amount of time it would have taken to you know what I mean start to see results from more social approaches so 
it is realistic and it isn't just this here's this ideal way it could be yeah and, and i mean when david cameron announces all out war on gangs and gang culture in 2011 since 2011 100 youth centers have closed in london alone yeah. um, and over 500 across england and wales um over a thousand youth workers have lost their jobs we've seen like we've seen massive cut over over 150,000 of our most vulnerable young people have lost lost access to youth services the, and it's these youth workers that identify young people who might be um experiencing domestic violence at home they might be experiencing mental health issues they might be experiencing neglect, all of the types of things that can help us make social interventions before these young people come into contact with the criminal justice system. I mean, it makes sense financially, it makes sense in terms of public safety, and it makes sense morally. Yeah. Um, but I think that fear is such an effective political tool. Racism is such an effective political tool that governments are more invested in them as 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 ways, as ways to justify their existence, justify um, their power, rather than trying to uh, create, a, um, I guess, a more, a more just and a, and a certainly a less racist society. Do you feel that's, that's a key kind of underlying problem is, I mean, it, we see it with social media all the time, that in certain scenarios for people in power or, or people who are in, in charge of these things, it's better to have us fighting amongst ourselves than turning our focus onto them and saying, this isn't acceptable. Yeah, you know? I mean, I, th I think that... I think we've got to the point in this country now where the government doesn't even really try to promise people anything. I mean, 20 or 30 years ago, you could at least promise people a job for life. You could promise people a council house. You could promise people um, some kind of security and a proper pension, that kind of stuff. The governments these days, I mean, the government that's in power now had a three-word manifesto, get Brexit done. That was yeah. their manifesto, right? Yeah. They don't offer people anything material anymore. The only thing they have to offer people is nationalism. The only thing they have to offer people is patriotism. The only thing they can offer people is to say, do you know what? We're going to we're going to rule the waves again. We're going to have our sovereignty back. And that's what we're going to offer you. And I mean, unfortunately, you can't spend that at the bank, but it's very, very compelling. And it's a nationalism, I think, is a is an empty signifier to which anyone can pour whichever grievances or concerns or fears they might have into and project them um, in a way that's uh, effective, but unfortunately also can be very destructive too. Yeah. And it, again, it's 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 why these longer and harder conversations need to be had because politics isn't going to have those conversations it's it's herself as you said that get brexit done was a three-word manifesto and one of those words was made up and didn't mean anything solid brexit could mean whatever the individual voting wanted it to mean that was the the the, the damage of that word in many ways was it had a vagueness so one person could be voting because they think the EU is corrupt and one could be voting because they want a, a, a less fucking immigrants. And do you know what I mean? Those people could be on completely different sides of the social scale and, and beliefs, but voting for the same mythical thing. Whereas what you've done here is said, look, here's projects and active things in the police force that we could save money from removing and changing the focus. And here's where we could spend it with put in social workers and mental health workers and numerous others into school with giving more support in the community and having more community venues and clubs and youth clubs and all sorts of other things like that there's realistic ways there that are, are, are there for the taking that aren't just we need less racism and more community 
You know, that's that's true. It's it's true. It's simple, but it's true. But it can be broken down in a far more clear and concise way as well, I guess. Yeah, no, totally. And I mean, even if we look at reoffending rates as well, right? I think over a third of the people who end up who end up in jail end up going back to jail or end up coming back into contact with the criminal justice system. So even within their own logic, it's not something which helps to keep us safer. Right? It becomes, a, not only are you punishing people, often for the circumstances in which they were born, mm. not you know, prison and the law doesn't have anything, hasn't, doesn't have any moral basis, I don't think. One thing I always tell my students is, look, if you're suspected of carrying a gun in Tottenham, you can expect the police to stop you and search you. They might even kill you without asking any questions. But if you sell F-16s to Saudi Arabia or cluster bombs to Israel, you'll probably get an OBE, right? Mm-hmm. The way the law is constructed has got far less to do with morality and justice and has far more to do with class and race. Um, and so it's not simply that prisons are ineffective, which they are. They're also a tool of oppression um, and they're a tool to keep rich people doing what they're doing um, and from poor people um, and to keep poor people in, in order and to maintain that social order. Yeah, and uh, again, I think it's key there that the, the Black Lives Matter movement and, and the race issues are real, but as, I mean, it's an easy online slogan that people say all the time there, but it's all of us against the racists. It shouldn't be black versus white or so on and so forth. It should be all of us against racists. We should all, if you're, if you're a working class, if you're a working class white person, you are going to feel the negative effects that the racism against the working class black communities brings in across the board. As you said, I mean, you're going to be going into the prisons because of the, the fear mongering that's been brought around these black, knife gangs or whatever else yeah exactly i mean all you ever see in the newspapers is oh asylum seekers are taking all our council housing refugees are taking all the council housing so what we're seeing we're seeing this campaign against council housing so we're seeing less and less council housing it's delegitimizing council housing who loses out when we have less council houses everyone who's on a low income loses out whether they're black or white whether they're undocumented or otherwise right so you have this racist campaign against council housing council housing gets slashed because it's been so decimated um and then it affects and it affects everyone adversely who's on a low income right so i think and i think that's one of the fundamental things about racism it's not just about helping out black people right it's not just about you know it's not like a charitable thing that Mm -hmm. white people can do to help out black people it's racism is is a system of control it's a system of governance that people within positions of power use to reproduce their own wealth reproduce their own supremacy um and and i think it's really heartening that these protests and these uprisings have been so multicultural they haven't been about black people they've been a big multicultural uprising in this country across as i mentioned before multicultural cities and uh less multi-ethnic uh towns and villages as well and i think that's i think people are starting to understand that that kind of solidarity um, is is important for all of us yeah that's perfect well i'll wrap things up there where can people keep up to date on what you're doing is there anything else that you want to kind of have mentioned to to close this off what's the Uh, Yeah, so um, if people want to see what's happening with um, campaigns to defund the police and on all the other and all the stuff like that, they can look at um, at UKBLM on Twitter. Um, If they want to look up the monitoring group and the work that is being done there, it's a national organisation. They're running campaigns um, all over the country and they can search for the monitoring group on Twitter or online or anything like that. So, yeah, check out those organisations and and look and see what's happening in your local area and and what your local anti-racist or uh, ethnic minority organisations are doing um, if you want to. Uh, help out in your local area 
I love that. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. More than happy. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. So, yeah, that was Dr. Adam Elliot Cooper, who gave a load of, of social media handles there and was too humble to give his own at Adam EC87. I mean, I'll tag him and Professor Alex Vitale in, in, in the post, but I loved that chat. Um, since all of this has been happening, I've had a lot of people um, hit me up asking if all that's going on has inspired me to write new lyrics. Now, regular listeners will know the the question of when's new music coming is a a regular annoyance of mine. But in this instance, I've written a fair few political songs in my time, so I get it. But despite the fact I feel all of them are still valid and don't really need anything added to them, the answer is simpler than that. The answer is just no. It's inspired me to talk to doctors and professors who are experts on this subject and who've been studying it for years, not just since it became a trending topic on Twitter. It's inspired me to listen to black voices. Those are my friends and of others online. And the key word there is listen, not to harass or ask for them to educate me, but to listen when they have something to say and when they want to speak or share something. It's inspired me to look at memes, sure, but then look deeper on the topics they sum up so nicely and cleanly. And it's inspired me to look at myself. One of the things I found was the embarrassment that I had that I'd thought black-on-black crime was kind of a kink in the armour of the Black Lives Matter movement. So having it pointed out how clearly wrong that was and how racist it is to think race is in any way a defining factor, that was uncomfortable. Because I just thought that. I thought that was kind of inarguable. It was so simply put and drilled into my head over the years that I didn't even question it. But it adds to the narrative we have and the narrative the police have. And that's key. The fact that I could accept that, bl- that black on black crime was a kink in the armour and I look at myself as quite liberal means that it's quite logical that the bad apples and the good apples could have that narrative in their heads, often through no fault of their own. Through the fault of the media and the government messaging that a lot of them have grown up with, just as we have. Which then adds to their conscious or subconscious bias and prejudice. In the UK and USA... Whilst the situations are different, there are many similarities. And one of the key things is that money would be better spent on community support in so many forms rather than being tougher on crime, etc. That hasn't worked. Ever. Throughout history, that hasn't worked. So we need to switch from an economy of punishment and an economy of surveillance to an economy of support and to an economy of specialised care. I want the police officers I know to be able to be used when they're needed and where they're needed and have more focused training and not have to deal with a million things that they're unqualified for. And I want the people that call for help to be greeted with the help they need, not with hostility, not with apprehension and not with violence and most of all not with racism and it's simply a case of expanding 
the services that address things, right? That's what we've heard here. And that may seem, oh, how would that work? Well, it already works. If you have a fire, you call 999 and the fire brigade come, right? Or in America, 911, whatever. If you're having a heart attack, you call 999 and an ambulance comes. So these changes would simply broaden the choices outside of those to create simply, to create something other than for everything else we will send the police. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because that's how it is at the moment. A fire, fire brigade, health issues, ambulance, everything else you call 999 for, or the police will come. And again, that isn't, the, the thing we also have to accept, the uncomfortable truth we have to accept is that the problems are real. And you can argue over how b big they are, but no one ever wrote a song or indeed a picket sign that says, fuck the firefighters or fuck the paramedics. But fuck the police is as real and passionate a sentiment as ever has been recorded. And there's a problem there. And to solve it, we need to drastically change how we look at law enforcement, their role and indeed their power. And we need to look at our own prejudices and how much the media and the government are allowed to bias that. From these conversations and from the, the independent research I did into this subject, I firmly believe that the way the police forces run in the UK and the US needs to change drastically. We need to change too. We need to be smarter to the games being played by political parties and the media and whoever else is out there trying to manipulate us to the completely separate needs that they have or goals that they have. We need to question the narratives. And we cannot allow this to be a moment. It must be a movement. This has been the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 330. Um, a discussion on the idea of defunding the police and the hashtag defund the police movement. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've come in with an open mind and come out educated one way or another on the subject. You know, whether it's changed your opinion or not, that's not the, the be all and end all here. And I hope you can spread this around and share it if you know people who will be misunderstanding this. I mean, I don't go on Facebook <laughs> anymore, but that's a place where you're going to have a lot of people making a lot of arguments and it's going to be hard to convince them to listen to an hour-long podcast discussing the subject. But m m maybe make it clear that if they're not willing to put an hour into a subject then you're not w willing to hear their fake anger and their fake outrage yeah that's about that so yeah please spread this around tell people about it it's weird that it's a episode that hasn't got a big guest and it isn't the normal f format but um i learned a lot with this i don't know about you guys but i learned a lot with this and i'm really pleased i embarked upon this episode um yeah this is now the longest ending ever. It was all slick and tight, wasn't it? I did all these nice intros. The guests were amazing. And then I go back to my rambling ways at the end. Speaking in my hushed tone rather than in my drunk car shouty tone. But yeah, thank you for tuning in. There will, of course, be more guests and more podcasts. I mentioned that an upcoming guest is Dottie. Uh, you're going to love that one. It's 
again, very educational. So yeah, I'll see you next week. Have a good one. And <laughs> defund the police. <laughs> see you later.